Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the Believe in the Ravens podcast. I'm your host, Bo Smolka, along with my co-host, former Ravens tight end, Daniel Wilcox. And today we recap the Ravens' 16-10 win over the Cleveland Browns and look forward to Steeler Week, the first of the two games against the Pittsburgh Steelers. First, let's talk about this Browns game. The Ravens win it 16-10. Some team, some people will say the Ravens won ugly, but I'll say this. There was nothing ugly about the way the Ravens played defense in that game. It was their most complete defensive effort of the season at all three levels. This was a Cleveland Browns team that came in averaging 156 yards a game on the ground. Nick Chubb was averaging 106 himself. Chubb finished with 16 yards rushing on eight carries. The Browns totaled 40. An amazing job stopping the run, and that was without Calais Campbell, who missed the game with concussion. So, Daniel Wilcox, I want to ask you, how were the Ravens able to stuff the Browns' run game so well? Well, I think the Browns' offense is centered around running, you know, running the ball, just like the Ravens' offense is. So when you when you bring awareness to what it is you're trying to get done, and the Ravens have always been one of those teams that want to stop the run. They want to keep your runners underneath 100 yards every single week, week in and week out. Um, I think the Ravens put high emphasis, and then you get a young, you get Brandon Williams back. That's got a lot of juice too, right? That helps out, you know, but they put a lot of emphasis on trying to stop Nick Chubb because Chubb is the centerpiece of that offense, man. When you get him going, it's going to be a long, long day for you. So um, I think with having B. Williams back in the middle, even though Calais was out, you know, people hadn't seen B. Williams in a while. So to get him back out there, I think that gave the D-line a little bit more juice. You know, he's kind of still that heart and soul of the D-line. He's been there longer. He's the longest tenured D-lineman there. Um, phenomenal player. And I, just to see him play, just playing with leverage, get underneath guys' pass, control the line of scrimmage, I feel like the Ravens' defensive line controlled the line of scrimmage all night long against Cleveland, and they was in Baker Mayfield's face all night long as well. So just as hard as a game as it was for Lamar, it was just as hard of a game for Baker. Um, the disruption that that D-line caused, and then just seeing the Ravens linebackers, the outside, the inside guys just run into the freaking ball like maniacs, man. That's what the Ravens do. That's what they do best, right? Um, I still would like to see more interceptions and more turnovers and stuff like that. You know, that's what the Ravens have been known for, you know, disrupting the quarterback so much that he make he has to make split-second decisions, and those decisions cost him on the back end with the DBs that we have. And um, I would like to see that happen a little bit more for Baltimore. Yeah, we'll get into that. But first, let's talk about those linebackers. And one was Patrick Queen. Patrick Queen was a guy who early this season was playing the middle linebacker spot, and he struggled at times. He overran plays. They switched him over to the weak side, and they brought in Josh Bynes to make the middle linebacker, and Patrick Queen moved over to the weak side linebacker. A lot of people think, oh, a 3-4 defense, you have two outside linebackers, two inside linebackers. But Patrick Queen moving to the weak side there's less responsibility. Bynes kind of dictates the tempo, but tell me from a pro's point of view, what's the difference between middle linebacker and weak side linebacker in this 3-4, and why would Patrick Queen, he has thrived in the weak side linebacker role. He's looked great for three or four weeks in a row, now, and I will say he battled through a really tough rib injury in this game, but what's the difference, and why would he be more suited, for example, to playing the weak side linebacker? 
Um, a lot of times, Bo, in a, in a 3-4 defense, the mic is the one that's always lined up to the strength. You know, the strength is the tight end side of the fi- field, and he has to take on fullback blocks. He got to take on pulling guards. He got to take on all the traffic, right? So you put him at weak side backer, it allows him to run and use his speed and his quickness and his agility to, to his benefit. You know, it helps the defense out because you got a guy that can now scrape and slash and get in there and get in those little tiny holes and make plays. Um, he don't have to take on the blunt of the force all the time. You know, a lot of time that Mike Backer got to come up and take on the fullback, take on a guard that's, that's double team block, you know, the, um, the, the nose guard up to him. And um, he has to take on those big guys and uses his arm to extend and get them off of them. But when you're playing weak side, you get to scrape underneath that or over the top that and run to the ball. You saw, you saw P Queen run, you know, to get to sideline to sideline and he was able to stop a lot of that, a lot of that Nick Chubb stuff before it even got started, man. He was in the backfield all freaking day long. And I think that's what you needed. That's what you need. You know, Baltimore, that's what you got to see from the Baltimore Ravens linebackers. You got to see those guys getting to the ball with them having a hand or shoulder or body on the ball every single play. And that's why the Ravens defense, you know, played the way they, I think that's why they played so well. You know, it allowed them to be able to be who they are, you know, play like a Raven, right? You know, that's what Raven football is all, all about, Bo. You know, getting to the freaking football, causing havoc and, and making people, you know, night nights of freaking nightmare, right? You know, you, you put that all black on and you, they, they feel like you're the Grim Reaper coming to get them every single play, man. I remember Michael Vick. Remember Michael Vick, right? Mm-hmm. Michael Vick played against us one time back when we had Adelis Thomas and Peter Bowler, all those guys, Ray Lewis, everybody. And he said, man, they're not ordinary. They're not, they're not average guys. They're supermen. You know, I think we broke his leg or something like that in preseason or something before the season started or early season or something like that. But it was a phenomenal feat to have somebody like Michael Vick, who's basically, you know, Lamar Jackson reincarnated and say, man, I couldn't get away from these guys. They freaking Superman. They're not they're not normal. You talk about the all black uniform. Justin Tucker told me last week that's his all time favorite uniform in all of sports is the Ravens all black uniform. And speaking of Patrick Queen. You talk about dictating the tempo of that game. If you go back, the very first run by Chubb, it was the second play of the game, and Queen came on a run blitz right up the middle and just hammered Chubb for a three-yard loss on the second play of the game. And that kind of set the tone for how that running game was going to go the whole time. But on the edge, right, John Harbaugh, after the game, talked about the edge rushers. We've talked about Tyus Bowser. He was probably the best defensive player on the field again. And But also Justin Houston was in people's face. Adafi Owe broke up that wildcat play to force the fumble, and the edge rushers really played a good game. And it seemed to me that when Baker Mayfield got flushed out of the pocket, he just looked uncomfortable. Um, He looked uncomfortable most of the night, but when he got thrown out of the pocket by those guys, he just looked uncomfortable. Mayfield finished 18 for 37, 247 yards. He was sacked twice, and he was rattled a whole lot more times than that. Is that, am I right? Is that what you saw when they got him flushed out? He just looked uncomfortable? Absolutely. He got beat up the entire game. I mean, you look at the sack total, it doesn't, it doesn't tell you exactly how the game went, right? You know, but he got he got beat up and banged up all game long. He started the game with no knee brace. He ended the game with a knee brace on, and he had another shoulder brace on his left shoulder, opposite shoulder. I mean, when I tell you they got after him all night long, and the Ravens is one of those teams that you kind of you kind of get a little nervous. You start biting your nails when you get get ready to come into Baltimore. You know it's going to be loud. You know the fan base is going to be phenomenal at every single home game. Um, they're going to show up. You know, the Baltimore people show up every game, rain, sleet, or snow. They will be there in full effect. And they are the true 12th man on the East Coast. I don't care what nobody say. But to see Baker be rattled the way that he was, you know, I, I, I think 
I think he felt those guys. Houston 50 was in his face. 99-08 was in his face all night long. Bowser was absolutely phenomenal. I mean, just to see him develop as a player. He's one of those guys that was there as well when I was in the player personnel department. And I just watched him. You look at him physique-wise, he looks like a Greek guy. He looks like he's supposed to be on the freaking football field. He the, he the one back in the day when you have the gladiators in the arena and they have the they have his shirt off with cuts and slices all over his chest and back. And you're like, man, this dude is, he looks like a freaking soldier. He's a, he, he's a true captain, man. He's a true player. He's a guy that go, that you want to go to battle with week in and week out. And he shows up to play and he's Mr. Consistency. You know, he's always going to be where he's supposed to be when he's supposed to be there. And that's why that guy is starting to get some real recognition. Well, John Harbaugh gave Tyus Bowser the game ball after the game. And if you look at that, the way that game ended on the, the last Browns possession, they get the ball back down six. They have to go down and score a touchdown. They didn't even get a first down. On second down of that series, Bowser was involved in pressuring Mayfield into trouble. On third down, Bowser drops into coverage. He's over the middle, and he breaks up a pass. And on fourth down, a little dump off to Njoku. Bowser makes the tackle three yards short of the first down sticks. He's an athletic guy. They'll play him in coverage. They'll play him to pressure. Um, they'll set the run against the edge with him. And he's really... In the last month or so, he has developed into an outstanding outside linebacker. All right, let's talk about the secondary for the Ravens for a minute because you brought it up earlier. This is a team that has not had an interception in four games. And in this game, Chuck Clark had an interception in his chest. He just flat out dropped it. Um, only three teams in the league have fewer interceptions than the Ravens. The Ravens have five interceptions all year. They haven't had one in four games they love these. They talk about the importance of these sudden change plays all the time, but they're not happening. And I see them work in practice every day. These defensive backs work on ball skills. They work on one on one plays where the secondary goes up and gets the ball. Why aren't the interceptions coming? Um, I think it's a combination of things. Um, you know, the defense here in Baltimore hadn't been, you know, on fire, right? Hadn't been on fire early on in the year. So, like I was talking about earlier, Bo, I feel like the D lineman has always been super disruptive. Even if they're not getting to the QB, they're grabbing, holding, grabbing, you know, holding up two guys, a lot of linebackers to scrape and to get to the quarterback fast. You know, you got to get pressure on the quarterback. In this league, every single quarterback is accurate. I don't care what who the quarterback is. The worst quarterback in this league is accurate, deadly accurate. So with, with no pressure on, on a quarterback, he can make every single throw on the field with no mistakes. That's why they're NFL quarterback. So you have to make them make split second decisions and make them do stupid things at the quarterback position by putting pressure on them. And the way you do that is by hitting them, hitting them repeatedly. I can remember a hit on a Ben Roethlisberger by number 57, Bart Scott, that shook the earth. And you can't do that hit anymore. You can't hit a quarterback like that no more. And those are the, those are the type of hits that the Ravens defense has been notoriously known. You know, sending Ed Reed off a blitz, you know, off the corner with a blitz. You know, sending Chris McAllister off, off, off the corner with a blitz, and they are crushing quarterbacks, right? Terrell Suggs doing that up and under move and getting to the quarterback so hard and viciously and ferociously what made him so famous in the NFL, right? And then sending Ray Lewis right up the middle, right down your freaking throat, you know, with a Mike Blitz right down the middle. And, and the Ravens just don't – you can't get to the quarterback the way that you normally could. And with them having so many guys out and not, not being at their strength, you know, the DBs are having to cover guys for way freaking too long. I mean, you're seeing busted coverage after busted coverage. 
And then it's so it's so it's so many guys going down on that back end, right? That the communication and that that free that free flow of DB trust isn't there right now. I think so. They have to build that bond and that trust. You know, Ray. I can remember Ed being able to look over and say say Sugar, this the one, and he'll look back at Dewan Landry and you know Chris McAllister and Smart Roll. They all know what Reed about to do. He about to go freelance some stuff and be a ball hawk. You know, at that moment, they even though they in cover four they shift to cover three knowing they got to protect Ed and let Ed do what he do best. Right. And I think, I don't think we have that right now with our, with our DBs out the way they are. And we're playing guys that never played, you know, in the NFL before back there at the safety spot and corner spot, you're seeing guys change, alternate in week in and week out, you know, so there's a consistency that needs to get back to that secondary. And once they get back to full strength, I think you'll see the, you know, the same old Baltimore Raven defense. Yeah, it would be nice. I mean, that was, you know, Chuck Clark, that ball dropped. He just, he got up and just threw that ball about 20 feet in there. You could see the frustration because, I mean, they've got to get, it really hurts not getting those interceptions, especially that one that was right in his lap. All right, well, let's talk about what everyone is talking about this week in Baltimore, and that is Lamar Jackson. He didn't play well at all against Cleveland. He's not hiding it. It was a night, and how does he rebound from that performance? I don't think it's that big of a deal. I think people make, a big deal out of Lamar not playing well because he plays so absolutely phenomenal, you know, night in and night out, you know? So if he have a bad game, if you look at your Peyton Manning's, your, your Eli, your, you know, your Eli's, your Peyton Manning's, your Tom Brady's, your Brett Favre's, they all threw four or five pick games. Who cares? Like it's freaking NFL. Those guys get paid too. I, I don't think it's that big of a deal that he had two bad weeks. Or even, I don't even know if they're really bad weeks. I mean, at some point, you got to give credit to the other side of the ball, too, right? You know, they got good D-linemen. I mean, Cleveland D-line is phenomenal. And they was in his face all night. And then you saw what you what I saw on, on television watching it, you know, just watching Garrett and um, Clowney, you know, just trying to get after him, you know, every single rep. They did everything in their power to make it a horrible night for Lamar. And he still found a way to win the game. To me, that's what you take your hat off to. And then you saw those guys pat him on the butt several times and be like, bro, you the, you the real deal. Anybody else? That's a sack. That's a sack, fumble, scoop, score, touchdown. But Lamar Jackson throwing, you know, balls downfield to Mark Andrews and Mark Andrews making one-handed catches, you know, while this guy is scrambling and getting hit out of bounds. I mean, it's the guy, to me, there there is no bad game when you when you play the way this guy plays. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he ain't rushed for over 100 yards. What quarterback in this league does? week in and week out, right? You know, so who cares? Um, he didn't throw for 500 yards. You know, who cares? Like, at the end of the day, did you win or did you lose? You came home with a W. You got 18, 19 guys on IR, offense and defense, and you still sitting at the top of the AFC, baby. And it, all I could care about right now is having a chance to go play Pittsburgh and we number one. That's all I care about. We're not the underdogs. We coming into this game. They got to fear us. And it's been a lot of years where we had to go in that thing fearing them. And we was the underdog. And, and everybody was looking like, all right, well, they biting their nails. Don't know if the Ravens are going to be able to pull this off. Right now, Pittsburgh is biting their nails, trying to figure out whether or not they're going to be able to pull this off themselves. I think that Lamar is just – I think the, his style of play is so unique and so dynamic. If he doesn't do some every single freaking game that blows your mind, he had a bad game. It's interesting you say that because for all his troubles, right, for everything that went wrong for him, he turns around and throws that what officially was a 13-yard touchdown pass to Mark Andrews where he backed up about 20 yards, avoided Garrett, and then throws it while Garrett's hitting his arm and, you know, and he finds Andrews for the touchdown. And after that play, it was so telling. Uh, 
Garrett kind of gives a bit of pat on the on uh, Jackson's helmet. Clowney, meanwhile, slams his helmet to the ground because he's thinking, what, what can we do here to stop this guy? But on that touchdown to Andrews, I'll say this about Mark Andrews. Of course, he had the touchdown, and he had that just ridiculous one-handed catch when he was being interfered. To me, though, the play that doesn't get talked about in that series, they had third and six on that series, and they threw a wide re- they threw a wide receiver screen to Marquise Brown, and Brown gets seven for a first down, and he got seven yards because Mark Andrews made a block that gave enough space for Brown to get seven yards. For everything else he does, Mark Andrews has become an underrated blocker. Um, he's not asked to do it much, but when you watch him when he needs to, he's become a much better blocker. And I, I wonder if you've seen that as well. well you know, you got to be kind of careful talking about tight ends like Mark Andrews and blocking and stuff, especially <laughs> when the O-line never gets any credit for doing anything, you know, blocking-wise, right? They got to block every single play. So when a tight end does, you know, kind of miraculously make a good block, <laughs> you got to kind of sh- kind of keep it on the low, low, Bo. You know what I mean? Especially somebody like Mark because he's such a good route runner. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's part of being a, a elite tight end in this league. You know, it's, it's really part of being an elite tight end. You have to be a good tight end in today's league has to be a good O-lineman, has to be a good wide receiver, it has to be a good fullback, right? And then he also has to be knowledgeable about all five positions on the offensive side of the ball because he has to know when the running back is going to run a screen, where he's going to line up at. He has to know where the slot receivers are going to be because he runs the slot receiver routes. He has to know where the wide receivers are going to be because he has to run the wide receiver routes as well. You know, Mark Andrews is such a unique talent in this league, man. Um, the blocking part of it kind of gets left out of it, you know, but he does a phenomenal job. You And the good thing about the Ravens offense and Mark Andrews included is you'll see these guys, you know, 10, 15, 20 yards downfield making blocks too as well. But he had the key block on Marquise's screen pass that actually sparked that first down. I absolutely agree. That's right. All right. Well, let's see now. It is Steeler week. Daniel Wilcox around here. That is a big thing. I remember talking to Eric Weddle and a couple other people that came to Baltimore from other places. And what they were told when they got here was, you're not a Raven until you've beaten the Steelers. Uh, so as a player, what what does Steeler Week feel like in that locker room? Um, Steeler Week is is a unique week. It's like rivalry reach week in college football, but times 10, right? Um, you get you get to the Pittsburgh Steelers. And, of course, you play Cincinnati, you play Cleveland every year, and all that stuff has its own dynamics to it as well. But it's something about that black and yellow and that freaking terrible tower in Heinz Field that just kind of pits you off, man. And, you know, you got to see these guys twice a week. You know, they, they, I always felt like for some reason you just feel like the Steelers is a dirty team, right? And it's like we've always been the black sheep of the league. You know, nobody likes the Ravens for some reason, but we're always crazy talented and we're always going to be in the hunt and our defense is always going to be top five in the league no matter what. And we're always going to have some phenomenal athletes. But Pittsburgh is something about Pittsburgh that just really just fires you up, you know, every time you play them. And you know going into this game, this is going to be a freaking dogfight. It's going to be like two pit bulls walking down the street and neither one of them have collars on and they both hungry. And then there's a stake in the middle of the road. That's what it's like. And then we're going to figure out who's going to get to the stake first. And when he get to the stake, he got, he got to be able to hold on to that stake because you're going for his throat right now. It's like the two biggest, big-headed pit bulls you've ever seen in your life that as soon as you see, you cross the street immediately, you know, because you know what's about to go down. It's about to be an absolute dogfight. 
I mean, you're going to have guys beat up. You're going to have guys ejected out of the game. This is one of those guys where you, you the opening kickoff, you just tell the guy, hey, man, I don't care if you get kicked out or ejected. You're going to set the tone. We want to set the tone right now. Let's go. Let's get out to these guys. Well, it's interesting because, I, you know, I, I'll contend and that it's been the one of the best rivals in the league for two or three decades. I mean, uh, the teams are almost always in contention. They always play meaningful games, often very late in the year. And, and it's interesting in this case where the, the Ravens have to go to Pittsburgh and then go to Cleveland. Cleveland has a bye this week, so they're sitting there waiting. They're just going to get this Ravens team that's coming off this. It's always a bruising game against Pittsburgh, and they mm-hmm. will get them there. Last year, the Ravens and the Steelers. The Steelers won both games. First, the Steelers won here in Baltimore, 28-24. to That was the one when Lamar Jackson gave a, a pick six right away. Um, now they rallied to take the lead. They fell behind and then they got the ball late and had a pass broken up at the, at the goal line and, and the Steelers held on to win. The second game was that weird one that we call the COVID bowl, uh, played on a Wednesday afternoon in Pittsburgh when the Ravens were missing 17 players cause they were on the COVID list, nine starters, including Lamar Jackson didn't play. Um, but this Steelers team this year, they, they come into this game five, five and one, I know it's a week-to-week lead, but they have gotten they got routed by Cincinnati this past week, and the week before that, they gave up 41 points uh, and five, more than 500 yards to uh, the Chargers. And this is that's the defense. The defense was often supposed to be the strength of this team. T.J. Watt is on the COVID list right now. He may or may not be available on Sunday. And of course, all the talk is Ben Roethlisberger at age 39. He's look. He's just been a magical performer in this rivalry, but he, he's missed times games in this series when he's been hurt too. But he's one of the great villains, right? This rivalry has been full of villains, and Roethlisberger is one of them. For the other side, let me ask you: Is Ben Roethlisberger done at thirty-nine? Does he have one more big game against the Ravens in him? Absolutely. Um, he definitely got another big game against them. I mean, versus the Ravens, Ben is one of those guys that you know he's going to do just enough just to be good. You know, he's not going to outwork you. He's not going to be the guy that, that crosses the line first on every single gasser. He's not going to be the last one in the weight room. You know, he's not going to be the last one in the building watching film. You know, but he's going to watch just enough to know exactly what you're doing and to do exactly what he needs to do to win. And he knows his body has always been, you know, athletic enough and big enough and strong enough to that, that old school country strength, right? to be able to break a couple of sacks and arm tackles and, and still, you know, extend the play and throw the ball deep downfield. He's definitely slowed down some. He's not the same Ben as he was 15 years ago. I mean, who was the same person that they were 15 years ago, right? You know, but he still got that fire in him. And this is those type of games. You always hear it, man. You hear it. You've been hearing it since you was a kid, Bo. Big-time players make big-time plays and big-time games, right? You know, he's going to show up to play the Baltimore Ravens. I don't care if the Steelers was one and 13, he's going to show up and he's going to have a heck of a night against the Baltimore Ravens Ravens, and he's going to be on his best behavior and he's going to do everything he can to try to take home a W against the Ravens. If he want to extend his career, if he really wants to extend his career at least one more year, he knows he got to win one of these two games, you know? So he's coming to be the best version of Ben that you've seen all year. And he's, you know, he's, they, they will play again in the in the regular season finale. A lot of people don't like that game coming at the regular season finale right before the playoffs. I honestly think it's great for, for fans, like to, if it were to build up to that. It may end up being a case a couple of years ago where playoff positions are decided and that game doesn't matter, but it doesn't look that way as jumbled as the playoff race is this year. 
You know, the Steelers, they try to, they want to be more of a running team than they were last year, which is to say they weren't at all. So they bring in Najee Harris. He's been inconsistent. The offensive line has been inconsistent. Smith-Schuster's on IR. He's having shoulder surgery. Um, But they still have Chase Claypool, who is a handful for this team. Deontay Johnson's having a good year. And and you talk to any Ravens, they will say, you need to wrap up Ben Roethlisberger because they have seen so many times they think they have him. He gets out of it. He's big. He's strong. And then he turns out and he turns into a seven or eight yard play or 20 yard play. And I'll say this. I've said it many other weeks. And the Ravens did this past week. They need to tackle because they cannot let a four or five yard pass play turn into a 35 yard touchdown, which is what they have allowed to happen at times this year. Let me ask you about Mike Tomlin, because it seems that every year when the Steelers, I have a lot of friends in Pittsburgh, and every year when the Steelers are scuffling on their way to an eight and eight or a nine and seven year, there's calls, Mike Tomlin's got to go. Mike Tomlin's got to go. We need someone new here in Pittsburgh. I personally love Mike Tomlin. I think he's a great coach. And I tell my friends from Pittsburgh, if Mike Tomlin were fired, he would have a job offer before he got to his car. That's my opinion. What's your opinion of Mike Tomlin? Uh, that's that's a great question, Bo. Uh, Mike is a uh, you know I, I love Mike. I Me, mean, I'm just like you, Bo. I'm, I may be a little biased. I was on the Super Bowl team with him in 2002 at Tampa Bay. He was my um, linebackers coach. You know, he coached Derrick Brooks and Shelton Quarles and Nate Webster and all those guys. Um, Al Singletary, Al Singleton, and all those guys. But Mike, to me, has always been like a player's coach, phenomenal coach, guy, a coach that the guys really, really respect. Um, he speaks well. He carries himself well. You know, he has a sense of swag about him that players really kind of flock to kind of flock to. And um, I, I think, I think he's a phenomenal coach. Like I don't understand what everybody complains about in Pittsburgh, but I mean, they're, they're spoiled. It's just like Nick Saban talking to his, the fans the other day about Alabama. It's like, they, nobody wants to win more than these guys, you know? And it's the exact same thing in Pittsburgh. You know, they, nobody wants to win more than the players do. And Mike pushes him, himself to try to put those guys in position year in and year out. You know, he's one of those guys, I think that has a sense of loyalty to him. And I think that's why Ben Roethlisberger is still the quarterback in Pittsburgh. And, you know, just, just like Brian Billick in Baltimore with Kyle Bowler, you know, he could put himself in a situation where loyalty can, can you know, really get you fired. You know, so I'm, I'm hoping, you know, with all these good quarterbacks that's been coming out the last couple of years and you don't bring in any of them because, you you know, you're holding down your quarterback, you're going to hold them down. And I think that's the way that it really should be. But unfortunately, this league is all about the W. It ain't about nothing else. You know, that's why they say the football, you know, NFL stands for not for long because they change the rosters left and right every single week, week in, week out. You know, they're looking to replace you every single day. And what that does is it messes up the chemistry of teams, right? You know, um, I think back like two years ago when the Ravens went to the Super Bowl, but they was going to the Super Bowl. Everybody knew the Ravens were going to the Super Bowl and they had Mark Ingram and everybody. Mark Ingram was playing like, like a man possessed, right? And then the next year they bring in Dobbins and all of a sudden it's like, who's Mark Ingram? And it's like, come on, dude, this dude just took you all the way, you know, nearly almost to the, to the freaking Super Bowl, right? You get the bye week, you come out the bye week and you lose the game, but you shouldn't have lost. And, you know, everybody was all of a sudden high on the Ravens and Lamar Jackson and, and paying really, really close attention to us. And we had like a Ravens swag like never before. The defense was balling, the offense was balling. Everybody knew we was going to the Super Bowl. And that's the type of thing I think that 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 Tumlin brings to his team. He brings a sense of swag and a sense of style. And he has that that same feeling that the Ravens had that year with that team. 
that's the kind of feeling that he brings to the organization, I think, year in and year out. And I think it's important, man, to respect the coach that you have, especially when he's done a heck of a job for you. And, yeah, you're going to have some people complaining. You're not going to make everybody happy, you know, Antonio Brown. You know, but um, anyway, I, I ain't say no names there. But um, at the same time, Bo, I, I think Tomlin is a phenomenal coach. And if the Pittsburgh Steelers got rid of him, hands down, somebody's going to sign that guy. ASAP. And I love what he said a couple of weeks ago when he told the press to stop asking them freaking questions. I got the best freaking job in the world. Get out my face. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I can I can almost promise you that I'll be driving over to Pittsburgh on Sunday morning and I'll or, uh, and I'll catch some of this Pittsburgh pregame talk. I can almost promise you there'll be speculation about Tomlin in that because you know when they're scuffling, yeah. he he's a lightning rod. But like I said, I, I mean I think. I know some of my Baltimore friends think I'm crazy. I think Tomlin's a terrific coach. And as I said, I think if he got fired, he would have a job before he got to his car. Uh, he and Harbaugh, you know, they, they know each other well. They've played 29 times now. And Harbaugh has won 14. Tomlin has won 15. Of those games they've played, four have gone into overtime. 14 of them, almost half of them, have been decided by three points or less. It's just a phenomenal series. And that's another thing that speaks to this rivalry. They play great games, they play meaningful games, and they play close games. And we can expect another one. Let me ask you, fill in the blank, the Ravens win if what? The Ravens win if Devontae Freeman has a great freaking game. And I know everybody's biting their nails like, what? <laughs> I, think, I think this may be an opportunity for Devontae Freeman to really have a breakout game against the Steelers. Um, they, they have had two weeks back-to-back, and Mixon did go off on them last week. And um, I think that I think they're thinking that they're going to be back to normal. And I think the Ravens are going to have a chance to open some holes and give that kid some lanes. And when he gets in the open field, he's about as dangerous as anybody in the league still. So I think if he goes out and have a great game, it allows Lamar to free up some space and be able to move and maneuver a little bit differently. And then they have to respect those ball fakes even more when they have to start respecting Lamar's ball fakes. When Lamar is like a Houdini back there with the ball in his hand. Um, I think it opens the game wide open for the Baltimore Ravens offense. So I'm going to put it in, in Devontae's Freeman hand. You know, let's, let's, let's have a big week, buddy. The other thing will be interesting to see how Lamar Jackson rebounds, right? And I, I, I wonder, I mean, we talk about Greg Roman scripting his first 10 or 15 plays. You wonder if he won't have a couple high percentage short passes early to kind of get Lamar in rhythm after mm-hmm. the way the last game went. So we will see. Looking at this race now, I mean, that win over Cleveland, it, it can't be uh, overstated how important that was because that put some distance between them and Cleveland. The Ravens now 8-3, and three, Cincinnati 7-4, and four, Pittsburgh 5-5-1, five, five and one, and Cleveland 6-6. Six and six. And if, if the Ravens win this week, they've put a big, big bite into Pittsburgh. And then they turn around and play Cleveland again. I mean, they could essentially, if they were to win all three of these, and that's a big ask with two of them being on the road, but if they were to win all three of these, they effectively are going to finish two of the teams in their division. But obviously, they have to take one play at a time. They have to take one game at a time. But it is Steeler Week. It's going. It figures to be another great one at Heinz Field. As you said, Daniel Wilcox, the terrible towels will be out in force. You can be sure of that. And um, we'll see how it goes. Ravens-Steelers on Sunday from Heinz Field in Pittsburgh. For Daniel Wilcox, this is Bo Smolka on the Believe in the Ravens podcast on the Believe Podcast Network.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.